If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliam. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. Podcast time. How are you doing there? It's that podcast. I was just listening to John there wheezing across oh, the way. Jesus. Give up those Al Harrys, will you? I will, yeah. Uh, no, do. I will, yeah. Do. I will, yeah. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just worried about John's uh, physical health on the basis. Listen, Mac, I'm a boxer. So I'd watch you, what you say. You, know. you are a boxer. How's the boxing going? Great. I have to say I love it. Beating the shite out of bags. But I would never get that, into a ring with that somebody. That wouldn't hit you back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Do you want your go and all that stuff? Anyway, it's podcast time. We're, you know, I'm looking at this extraordinary sculpted, chiseled creature across here. He's <laughs> been down boxing. Funny enough week, John. Do you know, I've been teaching economics all week in Trinity and it has been brilliant to go back to teaching, lecturing, reading all the sources. It's been it's, brilliant. It's your natural environment, Mac. I think it probably is. I think it probably is. And the class, you know, it was very interesting. So it's an MBA class. So they're early 20s, mid, no, I'd say 20 to 30. Yeah. Mainly foreigners. Right. And what was really interesting is having their view of Dublin. They love it here. Do they come specifically for the course or for your course? Well, absolutely <laughs> for my course. The really interesting thing is they said to me, and this is fascinating, that they came to Dublin because of all the international opportunities. That Dublin right. is under the radar screen because they've got all the tech companies here. They told me, I wasn't so aware of it. They said there's an amazing startup culture here yeah. in terms of opportunities, but I wasn't really aware yeah. of how good it was. You know, because they sort of the media attitude as well. We've just got multinationals and nothing else, but there's an amazing startup infrastructure for them. Yeah, uh, lot all the consultants, all the big. I think what they were basically saying to me, and I, I, it's it's funny because we Irish obviously moan and complain about the place because it's our place, so you have to moan and complain. Well, we're experts at we're moaning, experts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> moaning and, and there are things to moan about. There are things to fix. But all of them said, and they were for Italians and Spaniards and Germans and Dutch mm. and whole lot, lots and lots of Indians as well. What they were just saying was that as a city for them. Dublin, and as a country, Ireland, is a place of opportunity. 
And I was saying, what about the flats? And they said, yeah, the flats are really shitty, right? They said, yeah. you know, it's pathetic and we're paying through the nose, right? Yeah. But they said, but you'll fix that. You will build them eventually. Yeah, they were just yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. these are things you can fix. But what they were saying was that that idea of having a little piece of the global economy in Ireland, and they were contrasting with living in Milan, living in Rome, living in Madrid, like big cities, right? Yeah. Living in Paris. They're saying, they don't have those opportunities. And I thought that was something that we That's... probably don't see Ireland through the lens of foreigners. No, of course not. But it's like, you know, it's like when we left back in the 80s, you know, I mean, the, Ireland was a and, dump at the state. The, the place was much lighter physically and intellectually when we left. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. But, but we arrived in London and in fairness, London was brilliant, but it was no great shakes at the same time. You know, it was going through its own. We lived in terrible kips. We like, did, but but everything was great because yeah, was we were at them. Because you know, because it's, it's what your point is: like, to emigrate, to migrate, is a transformational act. Yeah. Because what you're saying to yourself and everybody else is, "I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to be a different type of person." And I was, I, I found it interesting chatting away to them and listening to them yesterday in Doyle's Bar. Do you know Doyle's Bar? Uh, where's that? It's on, I think it's on Westmoreland Street. Oh. Maybe Delir Street, Westmoreland right. Street around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice little boozer. Anyway, all is good. So how's your life? Life is, uh, well, we're we're still alive and kicking, as my mother always says. Well, I'm, every time I, how are you, ma'am? How's it going? Ah, oh, sure, I'm still alive anyway. <laughs> you got to love it. The mistress of understatement, Carmel Davis. I've known her for many, many years. What about all the energy stuff? I think we're live energy. We were on the nose last week. Yeah, well, as always. But it's amazing. And, and we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago with the, when I filled up the car for, I don't know, several thousand quid. 300 quid. quid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But prices have gone up again. Like it's now 198 for a litre of diesel. So I think we are in, John, and we did it last week and we're going to do it again. So we're going to talk about two things, this podcast. One is energy mm. and one is the census, which we've just done. And we're going to do a little economic history of the census. Oh, lovely. But let's talk about energy. We are obviously in an energy crisis, the likes of which we probably haven't seen ever in the sense that 73 was quite different. It was limited to oil. Yeah. Now this is going into every single commodity, number one. And number two, there's a contagion. Maybe it's because financial markets are much more integrated now, but there's a contagion between the price of oil, the price of diesel, the price of food, the price of commodities, the price of wood, the price of steel, every single input. And what it does is it makes you, it alerts you to the fact that Despite all the propaganda from the tech sector that, you know, tech is cool and the economy is cool, but actually when you look at the economy, if you want to imagine what the economy smells like, right? Okay. <laughs> right, okay. And looks like on a Friday afternoon, right? Yeah. The economy looks much more like a mechanic in, in overalls. Yeah. Drinking a large cup of very strong non-milky tea. Yeah. Tea that you can walk across. Tea, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And... It's dirty. It's a fossil fuel burning engine. Mm. Prior to this energy crisis, you kind of got the impression that it's all about tech and it's all about platforms and it's all about Silicon Valley and yeah. clean and it's all about those motorized electric scooters, not the real proper scooter, the electric ones, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, which I love, by the way. But the, the economy looks more like a filthy mechanic 
than a clean-cut, be-bearded hipster. Then I'm looking at you with your beard and your man JM with his beard, right? Be-bearded hipsters, okay? It's quite funny, I'll just tell you off air. Well, I was contemplating this discussion and I just have to say to him, hey JM, what does a hipster wear these days? And it was so loaded, the poor fella. But to come back. You didn't know what a hipster wore even back in your even hipster, the, hipster exactly, days. Exactly, exactly. But let's talk about energy, John, because typically Dublin port has 14 to 16 days supply of diesel. Right. Today, we have four days. Right. And it's wow. not just Dublin. This is the case for all over Western Europe. Well, I was going to say, days. yeah, it must Everyone, be. Yeah, right? yeah. And... There was a day two weeks ago when Ireland had one day. So now Ireland has four days supply. There was a day, a couple of weeks ago, we had one day. And we managed, this is a little bit, we managed to get supply of diesel from Wales on an unusually titled ship called the STD Clapham. (laughs) (laughs) I jest you not. Both the Clap and the STD are one, right? (laughs) On the STD Clapham came three days' supply of diesel. So don't knock, don't yeah. knock, don't and knock the clock, man. With some soothing cream as yes, well. exactly. <laughs> some penicillin injections as well. Anyway, on the STD Clapham, which is a bizarre name, but that's the name of the ship, came three days' supply. Ireland uses 870,000 litres of diesel a day. That's our consumption. Right. right. And Sorry, let me stop you there. That's just for driving vehicles or for fueling vehicles, but it's... Everything, oh. it's, it's, it's like electrical generators. You know, all electric, oh, or Jenny's. Everything, okay. Yeah, Jenny's, tractors, hauliers, yeah. everything that runs on diesel. All the economy runs on diesel yeah. because diesel is cheaper. It's yeah. much more fuel efficient, much more pollutant, but more fuel efficient. Yeah. And we forget Ireland is an island and an island has, we are an island with no energy, none at all. Yeah. A little bit of wind, but we've no energy. So we've got to import all our energy. Therefore, it all comes on tankers. We've no pipelines. We've no pipelines mm. to the rest of the world. Yeah. So we're really isolated. And the energy... And we're probably at the bottom of the queue as well for... Completely, because we're small. Yeah. You know, so, so, so when the shit happens, and it will happen, we'll talk about this in a minute, at the moment, all our diesel comes from two refineries, crude oil refineries, which refine the stuff into diesel, which are based in South Wales. Right? And... The supply now is incredibly fragile because their supply of crude is predicated on what's going on in Ukraine yeah. and Russia, yeah. right? And when you get down to having four days or three days, right, if you make a mistake, if something odd happens, you've got no diesel, complete yeah. none. And if you've no diesel, the economy just stops. And that's the prospect for the next couple of weeks. And if you think about it, at 800,000 litres, right, all you need is a big haulier. So basically, the ink, so the prices are going up, as you mm, say. Mm. The prices themselves, although classical economists say the price reflects where the market clears. No, the price is a signal for everything, right? People react to the price. It's not an objective idea. Yeah, yeah. Price they get jittery and they, they get... They get jittery, they get nervous, and they think, okay, well, if prices keep going up, we're going to bulk by now. Imagine four or five big haulage companies, right, which are shipping stuff all around mm. the country. Tomorrow, say, look, I think diesel's going to go up to 220 a litre from where it is now. Yeah. Now, imagine diesel started 12 months ago yeah. at about 110 a litre. It's now 180, 190. 198. Yeah. In the, so, the, yeah. so it's gone up by 
you know, 60, 70%. So if you're a big haulier and you say, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to order 10,000 litres today. That means that a forecourt, a garage will be out of stock. Cleared out, yeah. Because of social media. I mean, you've seen the thing in Dublin Airport, right? Yeah, it's crazy stuff. Because of... Massive, yeah. massive, massive queues. queues, yeah. But we know there's massive queues. 20 years ago, before... Five years ago, before social media, we wouldn't know. Unless mm. or, unless the RTE told us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> the propaganda. The RTE, right? But now in social media... So, for example, if I pull up tomorrow and fill up the Vespa yeah. for my 14 euros... Yeah. Thank, but there's no... That's, imagine there's no diesel. Well, it takes petrol, right? Imagine there's no petrol. I'd probably tweet out, I'm at this thing, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly you have, and then somebody else tweets, somebody else tweets, then you have a panic. Yeah. And what happens is those... It's like a run on the bank, isn't it? It's exactly like a run on the bank. The same mentality, same psychology behind it. It's the same psychology. So the government back in 2008 kept saying, oh, don't worry, the banks are full of money. Don't worry, even though the money was disappearing all the time. They're full of money until the very last. And exactly the same thing's happening now. But who's, who's responsible for kind of keeping the nation's levels of fuel. Oh, well done. Have you heard of Nora? Not Nora Barnacle, <laughs> that we're going to talk about. Nora, the National Oil Reserve Agency. Right. Such, you might not have heard of her. Never, Nora, never will, heard of her. In the next couple of weeks, you think Neffet? Screw Neffet, <laughs> right? Enough of your old Neffets. Oh, no. And screw Nama. Nora is what we're going to be talking about. So who's the Tony Houlihan of Nora? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He works in Trinity, apparently. Like Tony Houlihan. Got a new gig. Actually, I'm an adjunct professor at Trinity. Can I get paid by the state and be on secondment for 10 years? Anyway, come back. That if, for example, there's a run on petrol, which is exactly like a run on the bank. Now, the interesting thing about the run on the bank is that a bank run is stopped if the source of the run is stopped. So if you go to a bank and you say, I want to put my ATM card in and there's no money, that creates a run. Mm. The minute there is money, there's no run, right? So the key thing now is to make sure that there's no run on the petrol stations in the next couple of weeks because, number one, either but the how, Europeans... But how do we do that? How do we... We get, we get enough supply of diesel and petrol into the garages and the reason that's important is if you go to the garage and you're worried about not having enough petrol and you go to the garage and there's enough, mm. then the panic abates. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So the key thing is to make sure that we get enough because we have a store because Nora is sitting. Imagine Nora <laughs> sitting on a lot of gas and a lot of petrol. And I'll explain this to you in a minute. But the way the state has been operated now in Ireland, nobody's talking about this at all. I've, I've turned on DRTE. And but, but, but as you say, that's probably a good thing because other, otherwise it would create the panic. But when the panic starts, it's, a typical, it's going to be a typical Irish government communication strategy. We're going to wait until the shit hits the fan and then we're going to say, it hasn't hit the fan. Yeah, yeah. I swear to God, it hasn't. <laughs> that excrement you've got in your face, no, it's not excrement. That's your yeah. right. Okay. So, and I think this is going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Why? Because either one, we are going to sanction Russian oil and gas European Union is. Yeah. Because of these atrocities you see in every day yes, in Ukraine. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Or two, Putin will say, you know what? We're going to turn off the gas. That's his play. Right? That's his final, not final, but that's one of his last things. Yeah. Either way, then we're going to scramble for gas, right? And we're going to scramble for oil and we're going to scramble for diesel. And this is all coming down the this is all going to happen in the next two weeks. Right? Highly likely. Oh, I thought, like last week, Mac, we had a doom and gloom week. 
this week is shaping up to be. No, it's not. It's not. It's not because Come of Nora, because of Nora. Oh yeah, Nora, Nora. Yeah, yeah. The National Oil, Oil Reserve. Reserve Agency <laughs> yeah. is sitting on a hundred days supply of power for Ireland. Oh, it is at the moment. It is. We have. All it. right. Okay. Calm down, everyone. Calm We're down, all right. Calm down. All right. Nora, Whiddy <laughs> Islands off the coast of Bantry, a beautiful part of the country. Whiddy Island. Do you know what? Whiddy Island looms large in my memory. I remember distinctly. Um, 1979? Do you remember yes, the Whiddy Island disaster? Yeah. Hope arrived and the Whiddy Island thing happened at the same time. I wonder was it related. <laughs> the oil combusted under a religious fervour. The heat generated from the religious fervour. Go on. Yes, it did. It did but, blow up. The, that was a horrible disaster. I can't remember how many people died, but quite a few. Well, they, they must have been workers at the... Yeah, at, it was a, a broken pipeline or something like that. No, it wasn't a broken pipeline. Because I'm going to tell you a story now in a minute. Go on. Tell me. Okay. We have... Don't frighten the horses. <laughs> Speaking as a horse, right? We have a hundred days supply of refined oil and diesel in Whitty Island. Yeah. It makes absolute sense. By the way, just for, for everyone who doesn't know where Whitty Island is, it's a small island off Bantry. Yes. In County and for Cork. anybody under 40, Google it. <laughs> I'm just looking yeah. at JM here. As a, oh yeah, of course. As a Canadian, Google. Hey, Google, where is it? Right? Yeah. Okay, it's in the very southwest of Ireland. Now, if you're listening outside Ireland, this might sound parochial, but believe me, your country's in the same position. Yes. So you better find out where your witty island is, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes complete sense to have all your oil offshore on an island because of security reasons, right? Yeah. Because of safety reasons. But I'm going to. I'm going to let you into a small secret. Go on. Google it now, right? <laughs> if you Google it now and you see it's about a half a mile offshore. Yeah. There's no pipeline. What do you mean there's no pipeline? There's no pipeline. But from the Whitty Island to the <laughs> to, mainland. There's no fucking pipeline. So how did they get it from... from there's the, no bridge. Right? So what do they do? We've got to wait for a tanker. Ah, Jesus. I swear to God. Really? <laughs> so all of our... Ah, Jesus. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, we're so, laughing so, because this is so typical of our country, right? So, Which we love to death, right? So so the big tanker comes in with loads of oil and gas, yeah, or yeah, oil and yeah, diesel yeah, yeah, yeah. and whatever. Whatever. And, and dumps it on Whitty Island. Right, and then it stays there. It's all it's and all we're refined. Just, right? We're just a half a mile away, just waving at <laughs> <out. laughs> so, right? so if, for example, say, say for example, Putin decides next week, I'm going to cut off the Europeans. Or mm. the Europeans decide we're going to actually act morally, right? Then every single contract for oil and gas around the world for Europeans will come under what they call force majeure. Basically, all contracts will be null and void. It's an act of God, right? It's an act yeah, of, yeah, right, yeah. okay? Yeah. So all insurance companies will scramble, right? That means that the whole of Europe will be looking for tankers, right? Yeah. Now, to come back to the point... We have enough oil and gas for 100 days, so we don't need to have a panic at petrol stations, except for the fact that the oil and gas is in Whiddy. It's not anywhere near the rest of the country. So we then have to charter a tanker. Now, the problem is if you charter a tanker at the same time as everyone else is chartering a tanker, there's no guarantee you're going to get a tanker. Of course, yeah. And of course, Ireland's so small. Like, we think it's a lot of diesel, but it's not. Look, is this a stupid question? Like, it's a half a mile, which is not very far, you know? 
It is. It is it's if you've no oil. Two and a half thousand <laughs> it, feet. That's it, all it, it is. It is if you've no oil to get over there. But but just get an old pipe and shove it across. No, is that not? Uh, uh, I would like to talk to pipe technicians who are listening to the podcast. But it's that. I, it's a half a mile. But it needs to be done now. Is yeah, what I'm yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So anybody with an wavin pipe out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But anyway, so that is the interesting thing. So the energy crisis that is coming, right? Obviously, unless the European Union are prepared to look at the atrocities in Ukraine and say it's not our problem, unless Germany, which is the weak link in this, Mm. is prepared to accept atrocities in Ukraine, I don't think it's going to happen. I think eventually the European Union are going to say no gas, no oil from Russia. That's the moment where everything turns from a problem into a crisis. Yeah. Just imagine then Ireland runs out of oil and gas and diesel, but we have it all in Whitty, but we can't get a tanker because everybody else has got a tanker. We've got some rowboats, some Kirks. <laughs> some Kirks. We send out. There's Kirks, fellas of barrels of oil, and we use 870,000 litres a day, which is a lot. Yeah. So... You remember the Guinness ad? Kirk's Tashig Chow. Tashig Chow, yeah. That would be like us rowing barrels of oil <laughs> over from Whitty to Bantry to be put on milk cartons like Father Ted. The other thing, of course, as well, is that in order to spread the diesel around, you need trucks that run on diesel. Which well. you don't have. And that's why, so Dublin Port is full of these big, big tanks. Yeah. So we've got to get the stuff from there to here. Now, just by the way, if you're listening in another country, this is the way Ireland runs. But we love the place. Yeah, yeah. But the joined up thinking we're not great at. <laughs> so we built a massive refinery in the 70s after the 73 war to put all our oil and gas and diesel in there. But we didn't build the pipe. <laughs> Just for the crack. I think we should take a break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now, John, now that you've got over the fact that we have no pipes or bridges from Witty, what about 
the census, John, we were doing last week, right? Ireland did, we do a census every five years. And remember I was saying to you- Is it every five? Yeah. So the Brits only do it every 10 years. We do yeah, it every yeah, five years. Yeah, yeah, I we were the same. And we do it every five years. And what is fascinating is the idea, I've always said this, that civilised societies, John, yes. have good statistics. And uncivilised societies have bad statistics. Right. So it's a sign of civilization and sophistication to have good data. Yeah. And I mean, in a world that's driven by data, the foundational data is the census. So I'm going to talk to you about well, tell us, yeah, the, the crunching of all those numbers. The crunching of all those numbers, because unless you can measure something, you can't manage it, yeah. you can't, you've no sense of progress, you've no sense of propulsion forward or backward, so you need a sense of where are we now, where we'd like to go. Now, the census comes from the Latin sensore, to assess. Yes. And the Romans were extremely good at censuses, and we should know that as... Is that sensei? Could be sensei. It could be sensei. Just go back to my Latin days. Hey, you know? Go back to sensei. It could be sensei. The Romans, we should know because we wouldn't have the story of Jesus without the census. Oh, what was Mary and Joseph doing on the donkey, looking for a bed? Yeah, they were going from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Yeah, because Josie Joe, who got a, obviously a quite a fright from Mary when she said, I'm up the pole, but it's not yours, but it's God's. Yeah. <laughs> Which it, you really don't want, you don't want somebody saying that to you, right? Who did you sleep with? Don't worry, I didn't sleep with I slept with God, right? Okay. But the reason he was going from Nazareth to Bethlehem was for a census. Right, okay. To be counted. Yeah. And why was he being counted? Because Herod, remember King Herod? I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. King Herod. Nasty piece of work. Nasty piece of work. And infanticide, he killed children. Yes. And the reason there was a census was Herod wanted to know how many people were in Galilee at the time, yeah. right? Doing the Roman instructions to raise taxes. Mm. But the other side of the story was he wanted to kill every firstborn male. Right. Because the used. Romans got yeah. wind that there was going to be some god was emerging as a firstborn male. So our whole foundational myths of religion are based also on the census. So what I'm saying is the census is very deep. I mean, I know when you fill it out, you think, oh, you know, what's this? But yeah, it's actually yeah, yeah. very, very deep in our consciousness. And the first census was in Babylon about 6,000 years ago. Right. And of course, writing comes from the census, right? So you see a co-evolution of numbers and writing at the same time. And lots and lots of people thought, well, writing must have come first because we were writing stories. Mm. But no. Writing comes, I mean, it'll sound, it's great for accountants, but it's right. terrible for erudite literary people, but writing actually starts with accountancy. Right. Because okay. it was all about measuring stuff, right? And how do you measure stuff? You have to write it down. You have to note it. Of course. So yeah. You have to have a, a series of letters or something like letters that give you a sense of how many things you have. And that comes from the Babylonians. There's a guy called Cushim. Did I ever tell you about Cushim? Yes, yes. That's our friend. He's the fellow who was wheeling and dealing with... Uh, beer. In beer, yeah. He was yeah. a hipster. He was a hipster <clears throat> homebrew merchant, right? <laughs> on he a was, scooter. On a scooter with very tight jeans <laughs> <laughs> and a clipped beard. That was Cushim. First man whose name we know ever written down yeah. was a beer trader. And of course, it was written down because they were assessing things. So the census, like in history, there's huge things for, for British people... The, our English people more, there was a thing called the Doomsday Book. Yes. Which was William the Conqueror, 
arrives in England in 1066, I think it is. And about 20 years after having conquered England, the Normans say, okay, well, what have we conquered? Go, right, out, okay. go out there and figure out and the doomsday Which you're book, measuring tape which and, you're measuring your, tape. and your clipboard. <laughs> your clipboard, exactly. And they found, you know what they found? They found 6,000 water mills in England in 1068. So it's so quite sophisticated wow. country. Yeah, quite a sophisticated country. And the doomsday book, of course, it was actually called the Domesday book. But the reason they took to be called the doomsday book was because they associated with taxation and taxation was right. doom. Yes, doom and gloom. But it was yeah, actually yeah. called Dom, D-O-M-E. Right. Basically what Dom being? I have no rush. Oh, my, come on. Well, <laughs> Google it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so you've got all this stuff, you know, and and like, do you know that in the in America before the Civil War, there were very, two things with the census in America, right? The first census was George Washington they have a census of the new republic in America. They come up with a figure of 3.9 million of them. George Washington didn't think that was enough. What? So he okay. lent on Thomas Jefferson to massage the numbers. And the first census of America claims there was 4.1 million, but there wasn't. There was only 3.9 because they wanted to get to 4 million. Right. Because okay. psychologically they thought this was going to be bigger. <laughs> it's mad, isn't it? Isn't it? And then another crazy thing <laughs> in the census was that in American censuses, right, in the United States, obviously, there were more slaves than there were free men in the South. Mm. So every slave in America, every black person in America, yeah. was three-fifths of a human. Right. It's actually true up until the end of the Civil War. Why they, three-fifths? Because what they wanted to do was, it's all to do with the Congress yeah. and, and the difference in the Senate and the Congress. And they wanted to subjugate the number of black people to pretend there weren't that many black people yeah. in certain states, right? Because they didn't count them as humans. That's and if they count them as humans, those yeah. states would have got more representation in the Congress. Yeah. So it's kind of mad. Yeah. So yeah. black people were three-fifths of a human in the first hundred years of American history, despite the fact the American Constitution talks about liberty and equality and the yeah. rights of yeah, man. Yeah. Was the rights of white man, not yes, black man. Yeah, yeah, of course. So it's all kind of bad. Another mad thing about the census, John, was Sweden, right? Yeah. Now we think of Sweden as a very, very peaceful country. But in the 17th century, Sweden was probably the most aggressive country in Europe. They were fighting wars all the time. Yeah. Right? That's why, for example, in Kiev, they were fighting wars against the Russians. They were fighting wars in St. Petersburg. They were fighting the Thirty Years' War. They were fighting everybody. Right? Yeah. They were scrapping everybody. And... They decided to have the very first official census of Sweden. And Swedes thought, Swedish generals and Swedish aristocracy thought there was about 4 million Swedes. They did the census and they proved there was 1 million. And they said, fuck, we better stop fighting. And that's the reason Sweden is neutral. Sweden has been neutral since then. So Sweden was an unbelievably aggressive country. It became an unbelievably peaceful country, right? So they had an army of whatever a number big of standing, standing army, yeah. right? And they thought, oh, there must be five million of us. There's loads of us. Yeah. And then they actually took a census. There was less than one million of them. Wow. And they sued for peace with everybody. So they used the census as a defensive mechanism to sue for peace with everyone. And Sweden has never gone to war since. Right. It's quite amazing. Yeah. That so what, what I'm soon. saying to you is the history of census, John, is <laughs> I, these are my nerdy things. It's really quite fascinating. And it's all got to do with this idea that when you take good data, 
when you have good data, you can measure everything, you can have a clear picture of what's going on, and you can actually measure progress in some way. Yeah. You know, because there's no way you can me- measure progress. With- but as an economist, you you must go back through all the, 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 the census data and, and start extrapolating all sorts of stuff out. Well, you know what I'd absolutely love to, you know, one of the problems in Ireland is William Petty, 1692, yeah. the first census ever of Ireland. Okay. Oh, okay. And then there were 1.1 million people in Ireland that went by 1804 to 5.3 million. And then in the famine to about 8.1 million, 1841. Yeah. So we had all this amazing data about Ireland. Wow, there was a huge increase. Huge increase. I mean, if we had the same trajectory as the population of Netherlands had, which would be not unreasonable to say without the famine, there'd be over 35 million of us. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Imagine all the bridges and pipes you'd need there. Trying to get a pint at a bar there. <laughs> 35 million patties yeah. in one island. Okay. Wow, wow. Yeah, really? no, it's, it's amazing. And But the prob- one of the problems is that during the Civil War here, when the Free State Army opened up on the IRA guys in the four courts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We lost all our records. All the census data from 1841, 1851, 1861, oh, all gone. We? So we've lost all that. So we've lost all that. When you were saying, as an economist, we've yeah. lost so much of our data uh, because of that. There was a fire and we lost all our records. Yeah, yeah. Which is an extraordinary loss for Irish society because we can't, do my nerdy stuff. Go yeah, back yeah. and say, this happens, that happens. It wasn't stuck in a hard drive somewhere. It wasn't stuck in a hard drive. No, it wasn't online. It wasn't in the cloud. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll leave you with the last one. Go on. 1941, Pearl Harbor. Japanese attack the Americans. Right? Yeah. There are many, many Japanese people living in America. Yeah. The Japanese people, being very honest, put their ethnicity on the census. And the Americans used the American census and to lock them. up every single one of them. Yeah, they right? interned them. That's right. Using the census yeah. data. And also on another more tragic, even more tragic issue, the Nazis used the Dutch. So Dutch people would be very honest, very, very factual, very, very good at data, very, very good numbers. The Nazis used the Dutch census of Jewish people to oh, get right. every single one of them. And I think the figure in Holland is one of the highest, certainly the highest in Western Europe, right. Jewish population, died because the Nazis just went to the census and said, give me the numbers. The Dutch wow. them over. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it's an amazing treasure trove of ideas. Well, is Putin doing that as well, using the U- Ukrainian census to... Because, you know, you're saying that oh, he, he, he could he, well he, be. the Ukrainians are, are the, essentially Russians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but actually how many ethnic Russians are in? I think he's you? been less discriminatory than probably, that. I think probably. he's just going in and bombing the shit out of everything. Yeah. But there, you know, it is a fantastic thing that our foundational religious scripture is based on Herod. And if, if you go back to the Old Testament, the Book of Numbers, John. Right which was countering the Israelites coming out of Egypt, you know, Moses, the parting of the walls, all that, parting of the waves, all that sort of yeah. stuff. So it's a, it's fascinating. Like, But the history of numbers is the history of literature. And you see a co-evolution with money, numbers, literature in all civilizations. And that's why I know the census might be regarded as bizarre, but when I see it, what I see is not just ticking boxes, 
tell people how many people live in the house. But I see it as an extraordinary revelatory document that shines a light on a society at a certain moment in time. And therein captures so many values, so many ideas, so much information in just one tiny little thing. So if, we're, if we do a census here every five years, how long does it take? Because, you know, there's, oh, a, there's yeah. a lot of crunching of numbers there to actually come out with stuff that's useful. Now you have, now you have opened that. Oh. It wouldn't be Pandora's box because that's a, that's a box of unpleasant things. Yeah. Pleasant things if there is such a vessel. So, how long, John? You know there are people who wait for everything? Yeah. I wait for the census and it'll be a couple of months. But don't you worry. I'll keep you informed. I'll put you on the WhatsApp group. Oh, can't wait. Like, the lads WhatsApp group. <laughs> What's Macker talking about? Bing! The census numbers are out. I just love all that stuff. What a nerd. <laughs> See you Thursday. While I have you there, listen, I just want to say thank you so much to all our Patreons who really supported myself and John throughout the last nearly three years. Man. Three years, wow. Oh, it's a long time. I thought it only started last week. It's such a good crack though, isn't it? Is. It? it is, it is, it is. It's like, it's like having the dream gig. You know? <laughs> thank you very, very much. And if you do want to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You get ad-free you get courses, you get chats, you can ask me questions, all sorts of stuff, and you really become part of the gang. So that's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And again, thank you very much.